Martin Lindstrom is one of the most sought-after consultants in the world. He's a New York Times best-selling author. He's written seven different books. His newest book is out now. It's called The Ministry of Common Sense, and I had the great fortune to be able to sit down and chat with him about the work he does with some of the biggest companies in the world. Uh, we talk about branding, marketing. We talk about this new book, uh, all about common sense, and we apply his ideas, the, the things he talks about and writes about, uh, and, and we were able to apply them to the work we do uh, in high hospitality. This is one of my favorite conversations I've ever had on this show. I hope you enjoy it. There's an old saying goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly podcast dedicated entirely to the restaurant industry. Now my goal is to take complicated marketing concepts and make them both understandable and actionable. And then I want to find ways to incorporate what we've learned and and help you put it into your day-to-day operations. I want you to change the mindset you have about your business and I want to challenge some of your assumptions you have about this industry. By the end of each episode, we come up with a few key insights, and then we always finish up with an assignment. I always try to leave you with a short, actionable task, something you can do right away to start implementing some of the ideas we talk about here on the show, because as I always say, information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Ovation, the actionable guest feedback platform that actually drives revenue. Are you frustrated by unfair online reviews? Are you sick of not having control over uh, the delivery experience of your guests? Are you ready to get actionable feedback and drive revenue? Restaurants from coast to coast trust Ovation to do just that. Recently voted the number one guest feedback platform in a nationwide restaurant owner survey, Ovation uses an SMS-based survey as a digital touchpoint that has redefined guest feedback. So if the experience was great, your guests leave an online review and then are automatically invited back or urged to convert from third party to first party ordering. If it wasn't great, you're immediately notified so your team can resolve issues in real time. Get more feedback, more reviews, and more revenue with Ovation. Visit ovationup.com slash chip. That's ovationup.com slash C-H-I-P to get 2,000 free text messages. And don't worry, that link is in the show notes. Now, a friendly reminder that Restaurant Strategy is on Patreon. The community continues to grow. There are four different tiers of membership. Each one has a bunch of perks included, but... Each level grants you access to our new private podcast, The Daily Special. New episodes drop every weekday, short, snackable content, Monday through Friday, no longer than five minutes each. Visit patreon.com slash restaurant strategy. Again, that link is also in the show notes. So my guest on today's show is Martin Lindstrom. He is the author of seven books, including a bunch of New York Times bestsellers. Uh, The Wall Street Journal praises his book Brand Sense as one of the five 
best marketing books ever published. Uh, and his newest just hit bookshelves in January. It's called The Ministry of Common Sense, How to Eliminate Bureaucratic Red Tape, Bad Excuses, and Corporate BS. There is a ton we have to talk about. I promise we will get into all of it. But first, I want to welcome you to the show. Martin, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to be on your show. I uh, I love what you uh, talk about. I love what you write about. Um, I, I love this new book. I think it's a lot of fun. Thank you. Uh, horrifying, <laughs> horrifying to read uh, uh, portions of it, but um, it certainly illustrates the, the points you're trying to make. Um, before we get into that book, though, I'd like to give the listeners uh, some context because you've been uh, working at a very high level with some of the biggest companies in the world for a very long time. You've been writing about uh, about that work. And so I want to go back if we can. Um, can you talk about a little bit about what you do with your company, what, what you're all about, what that company's all about, and what you do uh, with the companies that you then work with? Listen, the main focus for my company is to help companies, organizations, uh, to see the world through the eyes of the customers, the guests, the passengers, the patients. Uh, what has happened is that the world increasingly has become focused on what I call an inside-out point of view. We are more or less drinking of our own Kool-Aid systems and structures and bureaucracies driving our day-to-day -day work. What we increasingly are forgetting about how the guests are feeling. Uh, what their fears and hopes and dreams are. So what I do is with our company is to bring that back into the DNA of the company and then build the whole organization around it. And with that, of course, to empower the brand. And sometimes we build the culture, sometimes we transform the organization. But at the end of the day, what we do is to get ourselves closer to what the customers really want. Yeah, I mean, so much of what we do, you know, obviously a, a business exists to take care of people, to solve a problem, to uh, to fill a hole, to fill a void. Um, and if you replace the, you know, if you take the customers out of the equation, there is no business, uh, which sounds, uh, which sounds, uh, I don't know, overly simplified. Uh, but that does speak to the, the book that you've written, this idea of, you know, common sense. You know, uh, common sense is that if we have no guests, we have no business. If we have no customers, no patients, uh, we have no business. Um, let's, I want to talk a little bit about uh, branding. Um, so what, what is branding? How do you, um, how do you begin to build a brand? Well, branding is every touch point the guest comes in contact with or the entire span of the company's life. And branding, remember, is an emotion. It's not a product. Uh, so really, you can have two very similar products, but if one is branded, you can typically charge more for it. Let me give you an example. So a couple of years ago, I was doing a speech in Leeds in the United Kingdom. And uh, just after me, there was another guy speaking and he gave me uh, a rock. And before I tell you more about this rock, I just want to tell you about the backstory of the rock. So imagine that uh, I was to show you a rock, which were for the first time picked up in 1989. And in fact, that was the year where the Berliner Wall was turned down. Uh, amazing story. And this was a piece of rock. How much would you pay for that rock? I'm pretty sure you would say to me, well, I'll pay some, even though it's an ugly looking rock, right? Now, what if I said that when I was doing my speech in Leeds, this guy actually gave me that rock. It was not from the Berliner Wall. In fact, it was a rock he picked up in 1969 on the moon. His name was Neil Armstrong. And in fact, this guy was uh, the first man on the moon. What would you pay for that then? Well, much more, right? I would think so. <laughs> it's, 
it's it's still the same rock there's no difference because 10 percent of all rocks on planet earth in fact comes from space they all consist of a story i think what one as a restaurateur or restaurant owner or hotel operator should be aware of that you are selling brands it's the food it's the interior it's everything which is sending a signal which can either amplify the value of the product or it can deteriorate it so branding is really everything every signal you send yeah it's so funny there's this uh i don't know if you read there was an article that was just published uh, an opinion piece in the la times just this past weekend uh it's gotten a lot of attention uh, certainly by the time uh, this interview airs everyone will have read it uh, but the the uh, the crux of the argument was that you know eating out should be uh, more expensive than it is. Dining out should be uh, should be expensive. We should be uh, you know unapologetic in in how we have to charge for it, and uh, and we should just position it uh, accordingly. Um, so much of what you say is you know about uh, you know the story brings value to it. The context uh, brings value to the product. And I think one of the big problems, certainly of the last, uh, let's say, 40 years, has been uh, kind of the commoditization of uh, certainly food, you know, as agriculture, you know, has gone that way and fast food and fast casual. Um, and, and you know, certainly has continued now with uh, the ease of the internet, you know, that we can get anything, you know, faster, cheaper, you know, than, than we could ever before. Um, and there's, uh, there's a page we should be willing to take out of that luxury playbook, right? Is that, you know, how do we, you know, there's that old joke, right? Like, what do you want to charge for the thing? And then what do you have to do to be able to charge something for that thing? Is that a little bit of what we're talking about here, applying some of those lessons? De definitely, and I want to build on what you're saying. I think it's important to understand what will happen as a consequence of a post-COVID-19 environment. I think we're going to see, and this is what we already are seeing now in Australia, in New Zealand, and in Taiwan, which are the three only countries in the world which do not have COVID-19 now. What has happened is that people are rushing to what are called destination restaurants. It's where there's an experience. It's where you're tr going through a transformation into another environment where you can dream, or you can escape, or you can memorize the good old days. What we're also seeing, though, in those countries is that the sales of food and restaurants in general, in those which are around the corner, just feeding you on a day-to-day -day basis, is going down. They're not surviving at the moment because they are becoming increasingly a commodity. So, building on what you're saying, you're absolutely right. And I think it's extraordinarily important to remember one thing. The product of a restaurant is all about transformation. That's the, that's the deliverables. And let me explain that in a different way. So Alfred Hitchcock, when he produced his movies, always worked with two manuscripts. He had the blue script, which was a rational script. It's everything from the props and the lights and the scripts. And then he had the green script, which is the emotional script. And he basically would map down every minute how you would feel like. He would feel fear, he would feel scared, he would feel empathy. Minute by minute, he would map down that curve. And that's the reason why he was the greatest movie director probably of all time. Now, a restaurant is no exception. What is your not just blue script, but your green script? How should you feel before when you're thinking about the restaurant? How should you feel when you're doing your booking? How should you feel like when you're driving, when you're entering, when you're waiting, when you're being seated, when you're being served, when you look at the menu card, when you're waiting time, when you're going to the toilet? All these things should be mapped down. 
And what you have to have in mind is that every touch point, as I said previously with the brand definition, is defining your brand. You could have the most amazing food, but you're waiting for 45 minutes. Or you can have the most amazing, fastest food, but when you go to the bathroom, you're thinking about some place in Nigeria. I mean, in the end of the day, what you have to think about is that that tells a story. So I think a lot of folks out there have to go and revisit your model. Of course, the quality of the food is important. The safety is important, but it's not necessarily doing the trick. And I think the best way of illustrating that is um, that I'll go to I'll go to Austria, for example. In Austria, there is a hotel called the Hotel Sache. So Sache is a very iconic hotel in Vienna, and they have something called the Sache Torte. It's a very well-known, iconic chocolate cake. And uh, when you go to the hotel, you will notice that they are selling a lot of those cakes. In fact, they're selling so many of those cakes in that one property that they have a big factory outside Vienna which are producing some 10,000 cakes every day. Right? For a little hotel, was have about 200 beds. Okay? That's because that cake was invented by coincidence during the Queen's visit some 200 years ago. If you go to Memphis, Tennessee, you will find a hotel called the P-Doggy Hotel. I'm sure you heard about the P-Doggy Hotel, which is a hotel where they have ducklings going through the lobby. And they do that twice a day. And basically, there's this guide guiding them through, and it's, it's a whole ceremony. And the story goes that they've always done it, and then they built the hotel, and the ducklings continue to go through that space where there now happens to be a hotel. This hotel has always been fully booked. It has nothing to do with the food. I'm not saying the food should be bad, but I said what made those things different was the story. It was the green script. Yeah, I, I think so much of what uh, what you're talking about here, uh, and I think a lot of uh, restaurant operators uh, skate right over, is this idea that you have to be deliberate with what you do, with the choices you make and the way that you execute uh, the thing. It's not good enough anymore. You know, every market is saturated. Just about any city, town, anywhere you go, whatever you're going to open, there are already a dozen of those uh, in existence. So you've got to co- come up with a, uh, provide a compelling reason uh, for your existence. And I think you can do that in a, in a multitude of different ways. Uh, that to me uh, just seems like common sense. That's the thing that I'm, I'm constantly railing about, uh, both uh, here on my show uh, with my clients that I work with and you know, in the work that I do and, and the people I talk to, you know, all over the country. Um, but not so, you know, so let's get, use this as a, as a way of, of bridging over to this because, you know, the funny thing about common sense is that uh, it's not so common sometimes. So, so talk to me about why write this book? Why did you think it needed to exist? And, and how do you think it can um, speak to uh, an audience of restaurant owners that doesn't have, a, you know, a lot of bureaucratic, big corporate uh, red tape? I think the issue is that restaurant owners quite often are seduced by outside factors which are diluting the essence of what they really stand for. I'll give you an example, Micros, right? Micros, as you know, is a payment operating terminal system, which I think is owned by Oracle now, right? Um, That system has been around for a very long time and has dictated a certain way service has been done. This has evolved, and recently I was told that there is a new app coming out now where uh, all your preferences as a guest are stored in this app. So when you go into the restaurant, 
It will know exactly what your food preferences are, what you like and what you dislike, what cocktail you want, how I have to talk to you. Now, this is just the beginning. Uh, it will continue. My question is, in that path we're seeing here, what is the role of people serving you? Is the role of people serving you to be robots, servants in the worst possible case scenario, where they just read out of a screen and then they sort of act accordingly? A little bit like what I tried on the plane the other day when you know, I'm a high-level flyer on one of the airline companies, as I think the whole world is, and whatever airline. And the person came down to me and said, welcome, Mr. While scrolling on the iPad, Mr. 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 Lindstrom. Lindstrom. So you've just been flying in from scrolling, scrolling, <laughs> flying in, fly, fly, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Oh, Zurich. And so you are very scrolling, scrolling, frequent passenger on this airline. And that was a conversation I had with him. Now, besides just looking like a day in the headlight, I'm sure, he was not just not connecting with me. I think screen-based communication increasingly is disconnecting the core asset of what a restaurant owner or hotel owner holds on what the customer, the guest, the passenger, whatever it is, wants. You have to put a line in the sand, in the industry, and not be seduced by that unless your goal is to be super efficient like a fast food outlet. I mean, if you went to JF Kennedy before everything closed down and you're sitting in one of the restaurant outlets, you will be sitting in a restaurant where there'll be 150 screens in front of you where you can order everything and where the servant is running around like a chicken without a head to follow up on all these demands and of course can't be service-minded. So it's like a spiral negative self-fulfilling prophecy we are heading to here. So is that common sense? No, it's not. Then you have to redo your business. Uh, so I think you have common sense is for you to ask yourself what is the feeling you want to have and then design the system rather than let the system design you. There is no better marketing than word of mouth, like a, like a recommendation from a, a friend or a family member. The Restaurant Funnel Sales System is built with that principle in mind, guaranteed to deliver new guests to your restaurant. They accelerate that traditional word of mouth process utilizing both paid and organic channels. Restaurant Funnel will help you generate leads, will help you turn those leads into contacts, and then convert those contacts into actual guests that will rave about their experience. Through engaging, personalized, and measurable communications, those guests are nurtured into becoming super fans. To get started, they offer a free marketing report card for your business. Visit restaurantfunnel.com chip to learn more. And of course, that link is also in the show notes. Yeah, it's funny. I, I'm always talking about this uh, this intersection of technology and hospitality because restaurants are notoriously slow to adopt technology. You know, our our system. I say this. I feel like uh, every couple of episodes, but our system was invented 250 years ago and has gone basically uh, unchanged. And yes, we've inserted technology into certain key points. Right? We used to have a a big reservation book at the front, and we used to scribble people's names in there. And now we have a a program like Open Table or Resi or talk, you know, where we can computerize that process. Or we used to, you know, handwrite, you know, the dupes and, and hand a piece of paper to the chef. And now we've got, a, you know, something like 
uh, like Micros POS. Uh, but but for the most part, that whole that whole structure has not changed. You know, you tell them when you're going to come. You show up at that time. They give you a menu. You tell them what you want. They bring it to you. After you're finished, uh, you pay for whatever you've consumed. And there is an opportunity on the backside of this pandemic uh, simply because uh, because the adoption curve has, uh, has sped up so much. Um, you know, people would have never scanned a QR code to view a menu, let alone order at a table. And now, a year later, that, that's kind of commonplace. And so I find myself thinking a lot about... Uh, what are the things that we can put into practice um, that will, uh, how, how can we use technology uh, in the right ways uh, really to free up our, our people to do, um, to do the important tasks? For example, right, a waiter's job is very inefficient. You know, a waiter spends half their night either copying down what the consumers tell them, what the customers tell them they want, or running into the compor- computer and, and, and plugging it into the screen, right? It, it's very, very inefficient. There, there, are, there are better ways now of doing that. So if you can computerize that in some way, for example, uh, we then free up the servers uh, to be on the floor uh, uh, doing the things that computers can't do, which is engaging with the guests, ex- you know, extending that hospitality, answering questions, guiding them through the experience, upselling, you know, uh, maintaining the table, getting them that extra cocktail, that that n- another bottle of wine. The computers can't do those things. Um, and, and by freeing them up, we allow them to do that better, more efficiently, more effectively than ever before. And uh, I'm so eager for the, <laughs> the restaurant world to figure uh, some of that stuff out. I- I'm working with several clients now to to put into practice a lot of those systems. Well, I, I think you're right. Uh, but I think the way you should start is to try to be a guest in your own restaurant yourself. Do an undercover boss exercise and try to feel where things are frustrating you. I mean, one of the examples I'm writing about in the book is me waiting at the arrival area at the reception and I'm saying, well, can I have a table for for two? And you have this extraordinary empty restaurant with 262 seats empty, screaming at you that just want someone to sit at the seat. So this servant, whoever that is, is scrolling through that iPad and going for another patient. Yeah, I'm not sure. Ooh, uh, be very full and scrolling through to another patient, another patient said, do you know what I may find? Yeah. There's one table and she will now take you or he will now take you down to just next to the toilet where you can just breathe in this beautiful aroma of freshly brewed toilet. (laughs) And then you're sitting down there. And then when you are sitting in your business meeting, you are being told every fifth minute, everything okay. Would you like to have some more? You are just in that conversation, which is so important. And they say, guys, how are you doing? Is there anything else you would like to have? No, I don't want to have anything more after the fifth time, right? <laughs> this is where I think the restaurant and the servant would, of course, want to do his best or her best, is trying too hard because the person cannot put himself or herself in the shoes of the customer, of the guest. I think the first starting point is to feel what a guest is feeling, to understand those frictions. And the way you do that, and this is very interesting, that is to do what I call Kulturbrillen, which is a word you don't know, but it comes out of Germany. It means culture glasses. We all have culture glasses where we see the things through the lens we are born and raised through. You have to change those glasses. So if you find a random person, okay, a person you don't know, and you invite him or her with you into the restaurant, you are now the undercover boss, and that person explains what he or she feels throughout the journey, you will certainly see the world through that person's eyes. It's a little bit the same if you try that, that you 
going to a favorite destination. Have you tried this, Chief? You're going to a favorite restaurant place. You've been there 500 times to this mountain or this lake or whatever. It's so stunning. So stunning. And at some point, you just want to show it to other people. So you bring a person with you. And the, the, the thrill of having another person coming with you with explaining what he or she is seeing is just so remarkable. It's like, my gosh, I never... And it's almost like you experience it another time in another way. That's what you have to do with a restaurant experience. And then you will notice all those friction points. Once you know what that is, then you can apply technology to it. The problem is people increasingly are teaming up with one of the big technology providers, slapping the technology on top because you've been promised it will give you 24% more efficiency, whatever it is. Yep. And through that, you're cutting the green script into pieces and you're ending up with the yep. blue script, which is taking all control and then your commodity player. Yeah, so much of what I end up talking about is, uh, you know, I, I try to challenge operators again. The model has not changed in 250 years, and so certainly it's the same now as it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And so I just challenge, uh, I invite them to challenge their assumptions uh, about what a restaurant uh, is, how it has to be. You know, just because that's the way it was doesn't mean that's the way it has to be moving forward. You know, that to really, you know, think about in terms of, I mean, this this goes back to marketing, right? This is first and foremost a marketing podcast. Um, and, you know, it's so much about answering the question, you know, who are you and who are you for? You know, what, what's the problem you're solving and how are you uniquely uh, qualified? How are you uniquely positioned uh, to solve that problem? Uh, it's funny, now we're dancing around the empathy word, right? And, and empathy uh, figures very prominently in this book. And I think that's really um, ties nicely into into marketing because so much of mar uh, modern marketing, everything from, let's say, Zig Ziglar on is uh, is really all about empathy, putting yourselves in another person's shoes, understanding the transaction from both perspectives. So talk to me. Uh, l let's keep going down there. Uh, talk a little bit about how empathy um you know, can continue to serve uh, restaurant owners, you know, hotel owners, chefs, uh, managers, marketers who work in the hospitality space. Well, I want to go back to a meeting I had with Steve Jobs and Bob Eckert many, many years ago when we were sitting um, uh, in a board meeting. And uh, I remember back then, uh, Bob had just closed down most of his Disney stores. Uh, he was the CEO back then of, of uh, Disney. He closed down most of his stores because they're just not performing well. And he said to Steve Jobs, what's your advice? You have the most successful retail store in the world. In fact, the Fifth Madison Avenue store was the second highest gross revenue store in the world after the last store in Disneyland in, um, in Orlando. Um, so I remember Bob said to Steve, what's your advice? And Steve said to him, what would you like the store to say if you could talk as the customer is entering it? If it had voice, what voice would it be? And I remember we worked a lot on it later on and we thought about it and we came up with a very simple sentence. We wanted to create the 30 best minutes of a child's life. Um, and that really dictated our instructed every single touch point in the new Disney stores, everything from the carpenters to how the decoration was, to how we were training people, to the operational manuals. Every touch point was fine-tuned and optimized. And it may be today, frankly speaking, that it's not 30 minutes of a child's life, the best ones, but maybe it's seven or eight. It doesn't matter because it's seven minutes more than anyone else. And that's my message. 
what would you like the store, the restaurant to say if it could talk as the guests are entering it? If it had a voice, I'm not saying, I'm not saying literally, I'm saying metaphorically speaking, if it had a voice, what would it say? I think a lot of restaurant owners don't think about that voice. And if you think about the voice, the voice is only in certain parts of that journey, but it's not in the entire journey. So that is the first starting point. And the way you then build on that is to understand the concept of empathy. Remember, empathy is the ability to put yourself in the shoes of a guest point of view and feel what that guest is feeling. So that's where you have to ask yourself, what do they feel as they go through this journey? Where do they feel frustrated? Whether do they feel at ease? What type of casual conversation would they prefer? What frustrates them or what irritates them down the track, right? When is upselling becoming too much? And when is it missing? All these things you have to work with and design a program around what that person wants. And then I think what you do is to take all the staff with you into homes of these customers or guests to see and experience their point of view. It may be that you actually live in a one-bedroom studio apartment. You have no space at home. And in fact, you don't know how to cook. And when you finally go out, you want space because you don't have that at home. And by the way, when you want to go out, you want to feel a transformation to freedom. And by the way, you're alone at home, so you want to feel a sense of belonging when you go out well i don't think you can explain that to your staff i think they should feel it themselves and once they feel it by spending time in a couple of customers a guest home then when they come back then that will become the essence of the green script design so when you finally go up to the person um, and you are you welcome them you know how they think because you've been to that type of person's home. You know where they come from. So it's easier to do small talk. It's easier to suggest menu items and it's easier to design the restaurant. So empathy is extraordinarily important. But I think as we are very busy and particularly when restaurant owners are struggling to surviving right now, when they are back to back with deadlines and supply delivery, when the kitchen's kitchen percent is really poor you have the revolving doors of staff going in and out which you have to train and by the way she's only two days old in our restaurant then you are in the firefighting mood you cannot afford to be in a firefighting mood you need to pause for a second and think about things in a perspective from outside in once you do that then empathy will become part of it so then let me play devil's advocate because I know what some of my listeners I'm sure are thinking right now, right? You just picked two of the uh, most iconic brands on the planet, Apple and Disney. And you know, this is uh, something that happens, right? You know, marketing is something big companies do, you know, branding, you know, really thinking about the experience, the customer journey. That's something big companies do, but I don't do, right? Because Disney is thinking about their legacy and how do we, you know, how do we um, continue this legacy and, and maintain it and develop it in new directions. Same thing with Apple, right? Uh, how do we, you know, th- how do we, you know, uh, you know, maintain this this um, iconic experience of shopping at the Apple Store? So then, what's your response to people who say, "Well, we just have a sandwich shop, or we just do this little breakfast place, or or we just have a pizza place," right? Just as this like horrible little word, but 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 talk to me about that. You know, how do you respond to them? It's much much easier to be a small player than a big player because with a big player, you lose your soul you become slow, where the little player is nimble and typically it's a family-owned company, so you're present and human. So first of all, 
it's much easier to be small than to be big, even though I know it sounds ironic. So here's the gay, here's the, gay, the goal for you. It is to find a point of differentiation. Let me give you some examples. If you go to Singapore, there's a restaurant called No Menu. Guess what, if they have a menu or not. <laughs> um, that restaurant is well known for you being dictated what you are going to eat. Yeah, of course, they'll give you a couple of options, but they're verbally telling you what's on the menu. You don't see it anywhere. It's a surprise. Okay? That is an experience which they become well known for. In in Italy, in Bologna, there's a restaurant called Davito. It's a three-star Michelin restaurant. It's a beautiful restaurant. And their um, canapes or their appetizers is everything mini. A mini hot dog, a mini sandwich, um, a mini burger. And it's not just mini. It is seriously mini. I mean, like a nail-sized type of thing. That's what they become well-known for. That restaurant, by the way, also have the best breakfast on planet Earth. That's the same with another restaurant in Barcelona, which have made that become the core thing. All these restaurants have one thing in common. They're focused on one thing, and they become the best in that space. It brings me back to um, a client of mine, which is Lowe's. So Lowe's in the U.S. Uh, have both the hardware store, but also they have the supermarket chain. And when they approached me uh, eight years ago, the owner that were not close to bankruptcy, but almost down that space. And one of the things I asked them was, what do you stand for? And they couldn't answer it. So we started to go into consumer homes. I took the store managers with me and we realized the chickens was perhaps 5% better than the competition, perhaps 6%, but that was about it. So we said, let's build on that. Now here is the catch 22. You can either lie and you can go out and say, we have the best chickens in the world and get your house in order. Or you can go the opposite way. You can create the best chicken in the world and then you can say it to the world. The, 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 the worst thing about the second option is that it may be it's the best chicken, but you don't have the time to convince the rest of the world. So it's too late and then you're dead. Right. right? <laughs> so I always choose the opposite way. If it's 5% better, let's say it's the best chicken in the world because it is the best chicken in the world. It's only 5% better, but we forgot about saying that. So here's what we did. We created the chicken dance. Very simple. I said, what should we do in order to own that? So we established a chicken chandelier. You never heard about the chicken chandelier, I know. It's actually a chandelier looking like a chicken, which we hang in the ceiling of every single supermarket. And when you go in every half an hour when this fresh chicken comes out of the oven, they will ring a bell and the song will pipe through the speakers and the entire staff of the store will congregate underneath the chicken chandelier and dance with the guests coming into that store. Now, as we kick this off, people thought I was mad. Today is the fastest growing supermarket chain in the United States, just after Amazon. And it's because of the chicken chandelier. What's interesting is that today everyone will say, which I've been to a low store, it's the best chicken ever. Is it better? 5% more. <laughs> so uh, so pick a thing right pick a thing find find what you where you're unique find where you can separate yourself and lean into that be deliberate about yeah. uh, pushing that out there yeah um how else does this you know the, the framework you give in the book i mean it, it's it's a really quick read it's really great filled with tons of stories uh, from your own experience of working with companies all over the, the globe um you know huge companies even huger companies. Um, how, how can we um, take that framework, um, distill that down, and, and apply that to a small business, a, a simple, single, standalone, brick and mortar um, 
brick and mortar uh, location? I think the most important thing you should do um, as a store owner or a restaurant owner is to place yourself in the corner of your restaurant one day and not do a thing. Just look at people as they walk in, as they take a seat, have a notepad with you, take notes and see what's happening. Note down all the things and the frictions you have. That's the first thing. The second thing you should do is to interview everyone which leaves the restaurant. Say to them, hey, I want to catch up with you. You've been to the restaurant. Should I go in there? Pretend like you're a guest. Should I go in there? Do you, because there's another restaurant here as well. Oh, absolutely, you should go in. That's fantastic. Or even worse, do you know what? I would not put my feet in that restaurant. Then you'll hear the truth. That's the second thing you should do. The third thing you should then do is, would they say to you, hey, you should try that restaurant around the corner. It's pretty cool. I love it because they have whatever. Go there. Take your staff with you. Do the undercover visiting process and then start to understand what are they doing right, what are we doing wrong, and what should we change. Then focus on one thing and just one thing. If I go back to one of our exercises with one of our clients, if you know, if I take, let's take, let's do this exercise for funny. So you can actually squeeze one word on top of almost every powerful brand in the world. Let's let's start this. I'll take one company. I won't tell the name. You have to guess who it is. I'll just say search. What company is that? That would be Google. That would be Google. Okay, let's go into the car industry, okay? And I say safety. Volvo. Volvo. There we go. So how did Volvo get to that point? Well, in 1959, they employed an engineer from the Swedish Air Force who was the first person to introduce the three-point seatbelt. They were the first to introduce the airbags in the side of the car. They're the first to, and I still hate them for this, to introduce the seat builder arm, okay? They were focused on one word. The word is safety. What is your one word? And it can't be quality and it can't be service. They're taken, okay? <laughs> the one word which will make you stand out and align everything around it. Believe in that word and then you'll become that word. I love it. I love it so much. Um, I'm uh, I'm always aware of your time, and I don't want to keep you. I appreciate you giving us the time you did. Um, tell people where they can learn more about this book, where they can go find it, where they can go learn uh, more about you and keep up with all the things that you're doing. Well, listen, if you want to s- support the small retail stores, the bookstores, go in there and ask for the Ministry of Common Sense. Oh, of course, you can go to the big evil company, Amazons of the world, and buy it there. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook and LinkedIn, of course. You just type in my name, Martin Lindstrom. Excellent. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I always put the notes, uh, put the links in the show notes. I'm going to pick my five favorite small bookstores, uh, one from here in Brooklyn, one from Manhattan, one from my hometown. Uh, Martin's going to give me one. We're going to have five places where you can get this book uh, that aren't Amazon, because of course you can go find it on Amazon easily enough. We're going to make you work just a little bit harder for it. Uh, Martin, I so appreciate your time. Thank you so much for, uh, for being on the podcast. It was a pleasure. Thank you. So that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed this uh, conversation with Martin Lindstrom. Uh, The links are all in the show notes. And uh, remember, if you want to pay it forward, go ahead and leave us a review and a rating on uh, Apple Podcasts. All those five-star ratings really do help boost us up in the rankings. Also, go find us on Patreon. Thank you very much, and I will see you next time. 
Restaurant Strategy Podcast is made possible by the generous support from our sponsors, as well as our incredible Patreon community. Special shout out to all of our special gold tier members, Mario D'Amatos, my very good friend, Christopher Tunna, uh, Anne and Steve Fagan, and of course, my parents, Denise and Chuck Close. Thank you very much. If you want to learn more, please check the show notes uh, and become a member of the Patreon community.